I don't know if you've ever heard on the radio station when they play that little game where uh, they play a snippet of a sound, a little sound bite, and you're supposed to guess what that sound is. I'm terrible at that. You know, they, they play a little bit, and then uh, if people aren't getting it, they eventually give a few more hints and a few more guesses and, and provide a little more clarity. They're revealing along the way what it is, and then finally somebody guesses it, and you step back and you go, I should have guessed that. You know, and they, and they play the sound in its fullness. They've revealed what it is. Or if you've got your favorite show, and as time goes along, they're revealing a little more of the big picture, right? Early on, you don't see the whole thing, and then things begin to become more clear as time goes on. Or maybe you're a tech junkie, and you're always waiting for the next reveal. What's Apple going to reveal next? And they give you little hints, and then there's finally a day where they reveal everything, or they reveal parts. Well, this morning, the passage we're going to look at is a part of the process of revealing Jesus as the Son of God. And we're going to work our way through that passage and see how Jesus reveals himself, how people respond to him. There were some that believed in him and how they responded to him working out his revelation through circumstances they weren't really excited about. And then how other people began to see who Christ is. So if you've got your Bibles, we're going to John chapter 11. John chapter 11 is where we're headed today. We're going to read starting really in verse 17, but while you're turning there, I want to give us some background on what's happening in the rest of the passage before we get there. And so it starts in the beginning of John chapter 11. A friend of Jesus is sick. Martha and Mary, their brother Lazarus is sick. And so they've sent word to Jesus that his friend is sick. I mean, I want to read verse 4 because this gives the point of everything that's going to happen. But when Jesus heard this, he said, The sickness is not to end in death, but for the glory of God, so that the Son of God may be glorified by it. So here, for the rest of the story, we need to keep that in mind. Okay, God's going to get glory. It's not going to end in death. And Jesus is going to be glorified as the Son of God. So everything that happens throughout the rest of this story is going to point to this truth. So then Jesus points out that it talks about how he loved Martha and Mary and how he stayed where he was two more days. So instead of going to Lazarus, he stays put. And then he begins to get in a dialogue with his disciples and he tells them, hey, Lazarus has fallen asleep and we need to go wake him up. And their response is, well, great, if he's asleep, then he'll get better. And he said, no, 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 no. I'm not talking about asleep, he's dead. And he's going to reveal more of his point in verse 15. Lazarus is dead, and I'm glad for your sakes that I was not there, so that you may believe, but let us go to him. So what he's going to do, his actions are going to occur in such a way that he opens the door to belief, for them to believe in him. So God's going to get glory. Jesus is going to be glorified as the Son. The door is going to be open for them to believe in him, and it's not going to end in death. So keep those things in mind as we read this story. So let's pick up in verse 17. So when Jesus came, he found that he'd already been in the tomb four days. That's Lazarus. Now Bethany was near Jerusalem, about two miles off. And many of the Jews had come to Martha and Mary to console them concerning their brother. Martha, therefore, when she heard that Jesus was coming, went to meet him. But Mary stayed at the house. Martha then said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Even now I know that whatever you ask of God, God will give you. You catch that? So here it is. Martha and Mary's brothers died. Jesus is coming toward their hometown. 
And Martha comes out to meet him. And she looks at him and she says, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. You get a glimpse of that picture in that moment. Notice how she said, though even now I know that whatever you ask, God will give you. Whatever you ask, he's going to give to you. So she's confident in his authority. She's not questioning his authority. She is uncertain about what he's done and why he was absent. I wonder for each of us in here, don't you have that moment in your life? Even if you're a believer in Christ, you have that moment where you say, I believe that you are fully in authority. But Lord, if you had only, and then you fill in the blank somewhere in your life. Lord, if you had only uh, just uh, allowed me to keep that job, everything would be okay. Lord, if you had just stepped into our marriage a little bit earlier, it wouldn't have ended the way it did. Lord, if you had kept them from getting in that car, maybe they would still be here today. What is that moment for you? Lord, if you had, and then you fill in that blank. See, we're all going to endure the hardships of life. And Martha and Mary were facing a difficult moment, but look at how Martha responds to him in the midst of the difficulty and how Jesus responds to her. Look at verse 23. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha said to him, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me will live even if he dies, and everyone who lives and believes in me will never die. Do you believe this? See, Jesus with his words right there is revealing to her who he is. He's just said, I hold the keys to life. Do you believe I am who I say that I am? In the midst of her grief, in the midst of her brokenness, in the midst of her uncertainty of why Jesus was absent in that moment, look at her response. She said to him, yes, Lord, I have believed that you are the Christ, the Son of God, even he who comes into the world. She affirms his character even when she doesn't understand his actions because she's trusting in who he is. We all have those moments in our lives where we are unsure what God is doing, but we have the chance to trust his character and be able to say, I believe you are the Son of God. I believe you are the Savior of the world. I believe and I trust, even though I don't understand. That's hard to do. It's incredibly difficult to do. If you think back to the most broken moment in your life, how did you view the Lord in that moment? Was he still good? Was he still in control? Do you still believe he was working out his great plan? See, did the character of God change in your mind because your circumstances change? Or did you cling to him like Martha does here of just saying, Jesus, I don't know why you weren't here, but I know who you are and I'm going to cling to that. She trusted him in the midst of uncertainty. And her sister will respond a little bit differently. So let's look at how Mary responds. In verse 28, when she had said this, she went away and called Mary her sister, saying secretly, the teacher's here and is calling for you. And when she heard it, she got up quickly and was coming to him. Now Jesus had not yet come into the village, but was still in the place where Martha met him. Then the Jews who were with her in the house and consoling her, when they saw that Mary got up quickly and went out, they followed her, supposing that she was going to the tomb to weep there. Therefore, when Mary came where Jesus was, she saw him and fell at his feet, saying to him, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. 
When Jesus therefore saw her weeping and the Jews who came with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in spirit and was troubled. So here you've got Martha going back to, to the house. Finds Mary, pulls her aside. Mary, the, the teacher, wants to see you. Mary goes out quickly, so quickly that everybody who's mourning there with her says, she must be going to the tomb, we gotta go too. And they take off and they follow her. Get the image of this, what's happened, get this picture in your mind right here. Jesus is on the edge of town, the edge of the village. Mary comes to him and she just falls at his feet. She's just weeping. She says, if you'd been here, my brother would not have died. You've got Jesus with Mary at his feet, with the Jews who followed her, they're weeping. You've got the disciples back here with Jesus. Can you only imagine what they're thinking, right? What have they heard in the last few days? This is going to be for the glory of God. It's going to be the revealing and glory of the Son of God. It's not going to end in death, and it's going to be a door open so we can believe. You've got to be thinking, they've got to be wondering, something's got to change really big real soon for that to happen. Here's this image. She's at his feet, weeping. I don't want you to miss something very subtle here. When Mary heard that Jesus was ready to see her, she came to him quickly. I don't know about you, but there, there may have been moments in your life, and I've had them in my life, when the Lord didn't work the way that I thought he should, and my first response was not to come to him, but it was to blame him. God, if you had just done this, then we would have been okay. And so, no, I don't want to come to you. I want to run away from you. Wouldn't it have made sense if Mary had said, when Martha gets to her and says, hey, the teacher wants to see you. If Mary had just said, I don't want to see him. He could have saved our brother. And he wasn't here. If he wants to see me, he can come to me. And instead, she simply runs to him. And she falls at his feet and just weeps there. There are those moments in our lives where we can't do anything and we don't understand anything other than I know I need to run to the Lord and just be at his feet. And maybe the only thing I can do is weep, but that gives God the opportunity to move when I just simply come to him. So here's the reality. Mary, we see throughout scripture this same Mary at Jesus' feet multiple times. In Luke chapter 10, she comes to the feet of Jesus and is learning. She's just listening. She's listening to him talk and share and teach she spent so much time there that Martha gets upset and says, Jesus, you need to tell her to come help me get things ready. And Jesus said, Martha, Mary's right where she should be. She's at my feet learning. And then we see her here at his feet grieving and weeping. And then the next chapter, John chapter 12, we're going to see her at Jesus' feet again. And she is anointing his feet with perfume and washing his feet with her hair. She's in worship of him and as a symbol that he is going to die with that perfume was usually put on uh, dead bodies as a perfume. It was a picture of what was to come of Christ. And so for her, we always seem to find this Mary at the feet of Jesus. Whether in learning, whether in grief, whether in worship, she just simply comes to him. And right here in this moment, when she's got nothing else left, she just comes to the feet of Jesus. And it opens the door for her to see how he responds. It opens the door for her to see the character and nature of Christ. Let's look how he responds. We'll start again in verse 33. When Jesus therefore saw her weeping and the Jews who came with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in spirit and was troubled and said, where have you laid him? 
They said to him, Lord, come and see. Jesus wept. See, when he sees this scene happening, he's moved in spirit, he's troubled. That word troubled literally means agitated. He's become agitated at watching this unfold. Not because he, he's mad at them, but the reality of as he sees this unfolding, he recognizes their grief and he, he has great compassion. See, at times, don't we put on God that somehow in our grief, there's no way that he can understand what we're experiencing and we hold it over him? That somehow God is, is void of the emotion or doesn't understand or he's absent and not present? We have to remember that what was the name that was given to Jesus when he was born? Emmanuel, God with us. God is not absent in our brokenness. Christ came and was very present in the midst of this situation and in perfect compassion. See, Jesus was not void of emotion. He was the perfect expression of every emotion that God created for us to experience as humans. He was perfect compassion. He was perfect love. Our emotions are marred by our sin. His were not marred by sin. He perfectly exhibited compassion and understood the depth of grief. But here's what he would have understood in that moment. That as he was about to raise Lazarus from the dead, he was going to remove the pain of this specific moment for them. But he also understood this was not his final revealing. This was not the moment where he made everything right. This was not the moment where he took away every sorrow and every brokenness. This was the moment where he would give them a glimpse of the glory that was to come. And so he would know that even as he removes the grief in this specific moment, every one of those people there would experience grief again. Their grief, their brokenness, their hard circumstances weren't finished. And he would be grieving and weeping with them over that picture. That his final reveal was not yet, but it would be a glimpse. Then we get to that famous verse that, 11.35, Jesus wept. Now, if you're like me when you were a kid, if you were in church and Sunday school and all those moments, this was the verse you ran to when someone said, memorize a verse of scripture, right? Jesus wept. Okay, this was like legacy type verse passed down from the older kids to the younger kids. It was this one in 1 Thessalonians 5.17, pray continually, right? Or if you wanted the long version, pray without ceasing, all right? So in four or five words, you could have two verses. I got two gold stars, baby. Put those on my little chart. We memorize it and we write it off as the shortest verse in Scripture. Understand this verse. Jesus wept. His compassion in that moment. I mean, if I'm him, I'm saying, Mary, get up. Get off the ground. I'm going to blow your mind with what I'm about to do. Your brother's about to come out of the grave. So get up, wipe those tears away, and let's get ready to do this. Instead, in his compassion, he wept with them. See, in your greatest, most broken moment of life, you do not serve a Savior that is absent of compassion or absent of awareness of what you are enduring the one who is in the very middle of it and very, very present and broken right alongside you. He wept with them. 
And the more Christ begins to reveal who he is, the more people start to polarize in their decisions of what to do with him. They polarize in their responses of him. Let's look at the next verses and see how they responded. In verse 36, so the Jews were saying, see how he loved him. But some of them said, could not this man who opened the eyes of the blind man have kept this man also from dying? So you've got two responses. You've got some that look at the character of Jesus going, oh my goodness, look at him. Look at his compassion. Look at his love. They're beginning to respond to the revealing of who Christ is. And others who said, yeah, but couldn't he have just kept him from dying in the first place? And they wouldn't have had to go through all of this? See, here's the difference. That second group, they became hypercritical of what Jesus did rather than being grateful for who Jesus is. They missed the character of Jesus and took a snapshot of one moment and tried to lay their understanding on the character of Christ. So here's, here's how that happened. They gave him a label, right? The, you know the label they gave him? The label of healer. That's a, actually an accurate label, right? They said, could not this man who opened the eyes of the blind man have kept this man also from dying? So they gave him an accurate label of, of healer. But they put a limitation on it. We frequently put limitations on the labels of Jesus Christ. Their limitation was, as long as this man, as long as Lazarus had been alive, then Jesus could have healed him. Right? They expected as long as he was alive, then Jesus could have done something. They missed the fact that Jesus holds the keys to life and death. And so the conclusion would have been, if the label's accurate that Jesus is a healer, if the limitation is accurate, that he can only heal those who are still alive, then the only conclusion is Jesus messed up. Jesus made a mistake. And so then that leads them to, to running away from Christ. Don't we put labels and limitations on the Lord all the time? Man, let's take an example, a, an accurate label. God loves us and wants what's best for us. Right? That's a label. John 3.16, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life. Accurate label. He wants what's best for us. Well, John 10.10, Jesus talks about, I've come that they might have life and have it to the full or have it abundantly. He wants, God wants what's best for us. Accurate label. Here's the limitation we put on it. God will show his love for me by making me happy. Right? Isn't that the label we want to put on it? As long as I'm happy, that must mean that God loves me. Here's the problem. Anybody in here been happy every single moment of your entire life? So if that limitation is true, then that must mean God doesn't love anybody. And we will use that to throw stones at who he is. But what happens when God's plan was not simply for your happiness or my happiness, but his plans were bigger and better than we could ever imagine. His plan was for you and I to have a deep-seated joy that could never be touched regardless of the circumstances we face. That's much bigger than circumstantial happiness. That's eternal joy that can't be touched. And how many, you can sit here and think about it, if, if God made it where we were happy all the time, how many in here would never have come to know Christ because you came to know Christ in the darkest of days, not the best of days? 
Right? The Lord used the brokenness to draw you to himself because that's what was best for you, was for you to know him, not for you to simply be happy. As he rolls that picture out, we see it in Jesus Christ himself. Hebrews 12, 2 says, Let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, scorning its shame and set down at the right hand of the throne of God. Catch that phrase in the middle of it, who for the joy set before him endured the cross. I don't know about you, but I don't look at the cross from a circumstantial position and see joy. Right? Like what Jesus went through in that immediate circumstance. But I do look at the cross and see joy. And Jesus did knowing that he would fulfill the will of God and he would open the door for you and me and anybody else who would believe in him to be made right with God so we could have eternal life. That is joy. So we'll see the polarization even more throughout the rest of the story. Those who believe in him and those who run from him. But understand how easily, if we put limitations on the character of God based on our understanding, it will lead us to false conclusions. So let's see how Jesus continues to work. Verse 38, so Jesus, again being deeply moved within, came to the tomb. Now it was a cave and a stone was lying against it. Jesus said, remove the stone. Martha, the sister of the deceased, said to him, Lord, by this time there will be a stench for he's been dead four days. Jesus said to her, did I not say to you that if you believe, you will see the glory of God? Get that picture? They walk out to the tomb. They get there. You would imagine they would probably just assume Jesus wants to come to the tomb and see it because he missed being here. They get there and Jesus says, hey, you know that stone back there? Why don't you just take that off? Move it out of the way. And Martha you can only imagine going, I don't want the last memory of my brother to be the smell of his body after four days in the grave. And Jesus responding to her, did I not tell you that if you believed, you would see the glory of God? So many of us are just like Martha. We believe intellectually the way that she did. She was analytical. She, she processed everything. She identified Christ correctly. She believed in who he is. And yet there was a moment in her life where Jesus said, do you believe me enough to obey and do something that doesn't make sense? Roll that stone away. What is that area in your life? Where the, the Lord has said, do you believe me enough to follow me so that you get a chance to see the glory of God? Maybe in something as, as simple as sharing the gospel with somebody else. Do you believe that if you share the gospel with somebody, God will reveal his glory through that moment? See, for some of us, that was, is just as difficult as trying to roll the stone away from someone who's been in the grave four days. You go, don't ask me to share Jesus with somebody. And what the Lord is showing you is, look, I will do more than you could ever imagine if you would just be obedient and tell someone else about who I am. You'd be amazed at what I want to do. Or any other area of your life. 
You're comfortable. You're in a stable spot. And the Lord is saying, I want you to do something different than just be comfortable. I want to call you out of that comfortable place so that I can use you for my glory and your great joy. Do you believe me in this? What is that area of your life where the Lord is drawing you out and saying, I want you to trust me with this place, with this step, with this act of obedience, with whatever it may be, where is he drawing you out? Because so many of us are just like Martha. Lord, I believe in who you are, but you really want me to do what? Ultimately, he wants you to trust him and trust his character. That regardless of what the circumstances are, we believe he is enough. Apparently they did believe he was enough in verse 41, so they removed the stone. Then Jesus raised his eyes and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you always hear me, but because of the people standing around, I said it, so that they may believe that you sent me. Here's the point of the whole thing. The point is not about necessarily Lazarus coming back to life. The point is so that every person there would get a glimpse and realize who Jesus is. The point of this was in revealing Jesus as the Son of God. The whole circumstance and scenario happens so people would understand the character of Christ and that God sent him. So when Jesus had said these things, he cried out with a loud voice, Lazarus, come forth. The man who had died came forth, bound hand and foot with wrappings, and his face was wrapped around with a cloth. Jesus said to them, unbind him and let him go. Therefore, many of the Jews who came to Mary and saw what he had done believed in him. But some of them went to the Pharisees and told them the things which Jesus had done. So here's a picture. Jesus raises Lazarus from the dead. This dead man comes out of the grave. And Jesus is clearly revealed right here as holding the keys of death in his hand. Remember, past few weeks in Revelation, as Kevin talked about it, Jesus holds the keys to death. We get a glimpse of that right here. Jesus said, I'm going to bring a dead man back to life. He raises Lazarus from the dead and immediately polarizing positions on who Jesus is. Right? The, the, the amazing part is not just that he raised one man physically from the dead. It's that he opened the door for many to come to life spiritually. It said, therefore, many of the Jews who came to Mary and saw what he had done believed in him. He made a way, an opportunity for them to believe in him, just like he had told his disciples what happened. He's opened the door to spiritual life. Because here's the reality. Lazarus would one day go back in that grave. He'd have to die again. Every person who believed in the name of Jesus Christ would live eternal life because of what he just did. Right? Because of his revealing for them of who he is and that they would get a chance to believe in him and follow him. Spiritual life. Much greater than physical life. Right? And so then you see those in verse 46, but some of them went to the Pharisees and told them the things which Jesus had done. The next few verses talk about how the Pharisees convene their council and they talk about what to do with Jesus. And verse 53 makes it clear. So from that day on, they planned together to kill him. So you've got those who believed in him and you've got those now who are set and they're ready to kill him. 
As Jesus was revealed as the Son of God, the polarizing positions began to get settled. And every person had a decision to make. What will I do with Jesus revealed as the Son of God? Will I believe him? Or will I reject him? That same question lingers for each and every one of us. What will you do with Jesus as the Son of God? Will you believe in him and trust him and surrender to him? Or will you reject him and rebel and run from him? Here's the reality. We have the privilege and ability to look back and see an even greater revealing of Jesus Christ. Right? We know that Jesus went to the cross. We know that Jesus went to the tomb just like Lazarus. We know that Jesus was raised from the dead. We know that but what is different than Lazarus is we know Jesus will never return to the grave again. He's seated at the right hand of God in full authority. And that is the power of God that he has provided a way for each and every one of us. If we would believe and trust in him and what he did as our replacement to pay for our sin, that we could be in right relationship with God and have eternal life. Now that picture of the revealing of Christ ought to linger over every one of our hearts so that we can respond to it more clearly. I have a choice to receive him or reject him. Because the reality is every one of us lives for the glory of God one way or another. Right? We, we, we live for God's glory in our acceptance of him or in our rejection of him. The question is, which way are we going to live for his glory? Because when I say I believe in Christ, it ought to change the lenses I wear in any circumstance I face. It ought to mean that whatever's in front of me, I look at it through the lenses of the glory of God, not through the lenses of my comfort and understanding. See, so we can then face every moment that comes saying, God, you get the glory no matter what's in front of me. No matter what it is, you take the glory from the day and I can endure whatever you choose to bring my direction so I can endure it for the sake of your glory and I know you will carry me in great joy just the way Christ carried joy to the cross. Just the way we saw last week the martyrs who carried the name of Christ to their graves by believing fully in him and said he is worthy of our lives because there's a greater revealing that's to come of Christ. He's going to come back in the fullness of his glory, absolutely complete and show it very, very clearly. And in that moment, the polarization will be as far as it can possibly be. Those who believe in Christ will see his second coming and will rejoice with everything we have. And those who've rejected Christ will see his second coming and run because they realize that they missed the boat. Where are you going to be? Which side? How are you going to respond to the revealing of Jesus Christ to you today? See, many of us in here believe in Jesus Christ. But are we going to trust him in every one of those moments as he's revealed who he is? We're going to follow him completely. This week, I got a prayer request, saw a prayer request from a pastor from another state. He's been diagnosed with cancer. Got about a year, year and a half left to live, most likely. And in that prayer request, they said, first off, we're praying for healing. We believe that God can heal. It's just like in this story, Martha, I believe even now, whatever you ask of the Lord, you'll have it. 
But then they went on to, to write to say, but if that's not the Lord's will, pray that God would get the glory from the process of my dying. Choosing the glory of God no matter what the circumstances are in front of them. Because as Christ has been revealed, he is enough. He's enough to face everything that's in front of him. It doesn't negate the pain. It doesn't negate the brokenness. It doesn't change the depth of brokenness. It just means in the midst of brokenness, we can walk through it with the joy of Jesus Christ, knowing that we grieve with hope, not as people with no hope. So the question for you today, what will you do with the revealed Jesus Christ? Will you walk out of here trusting him and surrendering to him? Or will you walk out of here more convinced that you ought to reject him? That's set before you today. And you have the opportunity to choose or reject. But regardless of what we do, it doesn't change the character of God. And it doesn't change the nature of Jesus Christ. He is the revealed Son of God, the Savior of the world.